0: And for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness, deep down things. Gerard Manley Hopkins from God's Grandeur. Welcome to the Deep Down Things podcast, a partnership of Logos Journal and Friends of St. Thomas Catholic Studies. Join us for a deep dive into Catholic thought, culture, and everything in between as we explore the depths of God's grandeur. Welcome to another episode of Deep Down Things. I'm Dave Dievel. I'm a professor of Catholic Studies and the editor of Logos, a journal of Catholic thought and culture here at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I am here, as always, with my co-host, Liz Kelly. Uh, who is now no longer our managing editor now, a freelance speaker, writer, uh, (laughs) spiritual director, singer, what have you. Liz, welcome back. Thank you, my friend. And we have very special guests for you today. Uh, You've heard their voices if you've been tuning into the podcast for the last couple of seasons. But these are the infamous Friends of St. Thomas, (laughs) Father Bryce Evans and Father Byron Hagen. Uh, Let's take a moment and uh, introduce them uh, and have them tell a little bit about themselves. Father Bryce, why don't you start?
1: Thank you. Very good to be with you this morning. Um, I uh, grew up in the Twin Cities area uh, in the town of Corcoran and studied first engineering and then eventually theology at the University of Marquette in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And it was there that I first started thinking about uh, the priesthood. After university, I Spent a few years discerning with the Jesuits who ran the school, uh, and then eventually discerned uh, that God was leading me in other directions. Spent a couple years volunteering, and then felt the call to priesthood reaffirmed. Hmm. Uh, And so joined seminary again in 2012. Spent two years at Mundelein Seminary uh, north of Chicago, and then came back home to finish uh, four years of major seminary at St. Paul Seminary here. Um, at the University of St. Thomas. Say
2: just a little bit about what your final paper was on because it was so good and we're still waiting for you to submit something to Logos (laughs) by the way.
1: Yes, yes, finding the time to write is always a challenge but uh, in my seminary career I was able to uh, complete a thesis on uh, the thought of John Henry Newman Mm -hmm. uh, and Father Joseph Ratzinger, Mm -hmm. right, Mm -hmm. Uh, now better known as Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI and i focus especially on their theology of faith mm-hmm. uh, what does it mean to believe uh, and how uh, does the dogmatic dimension of faith correspond with the personal dimension of faith
2: mm, beautiful mm-hmm. and father byron my dear friend
3: for many many years you could tell my my story I was could. almost as, as well maybe even I, a little better than i, I
2: could, could because i called it
3: <laughs> isn't that weird so um so I was born and raised in upstate New York, but my parents were both from the Deep South. And my father made what would ultimately be a very fateful decision, certainly for me, to attend a Wesleyan liberal arts college in upstate New York. And that's how I came to be a Yankee, mm-hmm. which is what my Southern kin, how they how they call me. <laughs> um, and grew up in the, in the low church Southern well, you know we're in upstate New York, right? But in the low church uh, evangelical tradition and uh, Pentecostal tradition, and um, th- th- raised on uh, to say, raised on classical music in the King James Bible, which isn't a bad uh, education uh, for a yeah, young person know. growing up at home. Um, and uh, my father had had been a musician and a, um, an educator in music, and then. Uh, more uh, towards middle age, had gone into the ministry himself, and here's another fateful decision that he made, uh, which would <laughs> affect my life. Um, there's a lot of, of uh, sort of a Jonah-like a tale in my effort to make sure that I succeeded in music in such a way uh, that I didn't wind up getting uh, pulled back into the gravity of my father's career change, and then here I am sitting here with this collar on. <laughs> um, but, Liz, you know, uh, you and I go back uh, to our time together in Nashville when we were, we were playing some music together. And then later on, I was in Los Angeles, and that's when I came into the Catholic Church. Um, and so it wasn't too long after that that the possibility of priesthood started to uh, really awaken in my heart, uh, which I have so much to, thank, uh, to be thankful to you for in Catholic studies because being drawn here uh, to St. Paul, and some of the contacts uh, that um, you helped put together for me uh, really uh, sparked my imagination in a way that uh, um, has led me to this point.
2: And we are all the better for it.
0: Uh, your, your comments remind me of Peter Crave's famous line that the three great things are the Latin Mass, the King James Bible, and the Hymns of Wesley. With those, you can do quite a bit. I'm a real fan of Crafton <laughs>
3: and, and uh, that sounds uh-huh. just like the sort of thing he would say. I, I wasn't familiar with that. quote, cool, but thanks for, uh, uh-huh. isn't that the truth? Yeah. Isn't that mm-hmm. the truth? Well, you two,
0: are, uh, you two are at a parish in St. Paul, in addition to providing commentary on all of our episodes.
2: <laughs> which um, shouldn't be missed. Check which should not be missed. It's Everybody should f- listen fabulous. to the
0: extra. This is one of the reasons why you should become... A uh, sponsor at patreon is so that you can get access to all of these talks Um, but tell us a little bit about your parish and about the community that you're forming
1: Yeah, so we're together co-pastoring it's not the technical term the technical term is priests in solidom but we we call it co-pastoring we're uh, pastoring (laughs) together st. Mary's parish a small parish in lower town st. Paul uh, in the downtown area um, which is a parish with a rich history,
2: beautiful uh, church. It's a
1: beautiful church, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of a little hidden gem there, tucked away it by is. the interstate. It is. Um, <clears throat> uh, and the Archbishop uh, missioned us there together so that we could pursue forming a community of life together, um, uh, specifically uh, what we hope will eventually be an Oratory of Saint Philip Neri. Uh, so the Oratory is a mode of priestly communal life, uh, originally founded by Saint Philip. Uh, In the 16th century in Rome Um, and it's been replicated all around the world throughout the church Entered the English-speaking world through st. John Henry Newman Um, And we believe that this is st. Paul in the 21st century is a good time and place for an oratory
2: And What's the difference between a parish and an oratory? What does an oratory do that a parish doesn't or what additionally does it do?
3: an oratory may, may uh, carry out its apostolates in, in numerous ways. If an oratory serves a parish, uh, there is, um, of course, the basic uh, kind of way in, in which parishes need to be pastored, and an oratory uh, doesn't shirk its responsibility there. Uh, but it also makes uh, uh, a great effort to craft um, a unity between uh, its own life, the the, the community life uh, in the Oratory House, and the life uh, of, of uh, in the parish, so that the spirit of Oratorian prayer um, and uh, the way in which uh, Oratorians carry out uh, their apostolates uh, liturgically and intellectual life uh, in in, in uh, teaching. Um, is really able to be manifest and incarnate in a parish and, and even though there are um, fine oratories that don't hold parishes uh, we believe that um, uh, this is really um, something important you might say the wave of, of the future uh, mm-hmm. for oratories is to represent themselves in, in urban parish life mm-hmm. um, which you know for reasons I think that a lot of people are acquainted with um, uh, urban parish life uh, requires uh, in our time more of a concentrated um, mission in order to keep them vital just largely because of the demographic shifting especially Mm -hmm. in our legacy Mm -hmm. catholic cities
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a lot of oratories do have other missions i know i've visited the pittsburgh oratory and they do campus ministry with university of pittsburgh and carnegie mellon university um uh is you know is is that kind of thing within within the ambit of what you're thinking about or or is how is the how is it determined what other kinds of uh, charisms you, you right. might have uh, within a particular uh,
3: area. That's, I'll just make a quick comment. I'll let Father Evans maybe pursue that a little deeper. Uh, the Pittsburgh Oratory, which we consider to be really one of the, perhaps the flagship oratory in the United States in a certain way, um, is an example of an oratory that does not have a parish apostolate. So. Um, Uh, this really has allowed them to be free and creative and set some standards, I think, for other oratories to imitate in the ways that are possible for them. Mm
1: -hmm. I think there's certainly a um, a close connection between the mission of of the oratory and um, the evangelization of the mind. Uh, This is definitely Mm an insight that uh, (coughs) St. John Henry Newman had when Mm -hmm. he... Decided upon his conversion to pursue the life of the oratory as the way he wanted to live out his priestly life He really saw that our age needs uh, a communal effort and a communal context in which uh, to pursue the evangelization of the mind which is especially necessary in our times which uh, in which the intellectual currents are very much uh, Often at odds with uh, The understanding of the faith right and this is very necessary for the vibrancy of the faith. So for that reason there's uh a close connection and a fittingness uh, between uh, the ministry of an oratory and the ministry of uh, the university and the U- ministry of education. However, I think our instinct is that what the parish provides is a nice place for a communal home that's stable, right? That's one of the advantages of the oratory: is that the, the priests stay put, right? <laughs> they have stability, um, and therefore they can plan uh, for generations of, of relationships with people. And another. Really important facet of the oratory is that they're always, the priestly community is always f- founded in tandem with a lay community uh, We receive formation uh, from the oratorian priests, who pray with the oratorian priests, and who work with the or- oratorian priests in communal apostolate. Um, so, for this reason, we, f- we find the combination of educational ministry and parish ministry to be kind of an ideal uh, for what we're hoping to, uh, to accomplish. Absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned stability, but I mean, one of the things about the oratory is oratorians don't take vows, right? Do you right. sort of make promises or I don't know, like... Yeah, uh, it's know. actually
1: one of the things that St. Philip originally insisted upon in establishing the oratory is that there were no vows, mm-hmm. um, which speaks to the very unique and character of the oratory and maybe some of the reasons it's a little bit difficult to pin down or, or understand, but his insight was that he wanted... Um, the oratory to be kind of a perpetually free bond of human affection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he wanted it to have this very familial quality. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, that didn't, while it did strive to fulfill the essence of the vows and its manner of life, um, and did involve a real commitment of the men, uh, this was never something that could be. Um, that could boil down to a mere kind of falling back on a rule. He wanted always mm-hmm. to be freely rechosen every day, uh, and rooted in the men's belonging to one another and real affection for one another. Mm-hmm. It's also part of the reason he didn't want his oratories getting too large, because he wanted each man to know the other man's face. So like it, it, it had to rely on this uh, freely chosen affection and and recommitment to love every day.
2: Mm. Beautiful.
0: Well, the, I mean, the, uh, you know, you might say it's the bond of affection, the bond of friendship, mm-hmm. Christian friendship is at the heart of this, this mission. And but,
2: how much that needs to be rediscovered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've so lost the art of Christian friendship. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems to me that e- even when I attend on the weekends and just seeing the breadth of... Uh, age stage of life color nationality (laughs) languages spoken i mean you Mm -hmm. really have uh, such a beautiful menagerie that already attends saint mary's Mm -hmm. and uh, what a perfect seed to be planted there of reclaiming the art of christian friendship and just The art of being human, Mm -hmm. you know,
1: as Benedict would say.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And Um, how important in our times that, you know, it's so frequently commented upon that we're living in such divisive times. And uh,
2: dehumanized with technology, with, uh, you know, these things that separate us. COVID certainly Mm -hmm. separated us in a new way. And, um, and I just see that seed even being planted. Uh, it's
1: a beautiful opportunity for a Christian witness. You know, the more we can create zones of real deep mm-hmm. uh, Christian connection, Christian friendship, mm-hmm. I think Catholic studies is certainly a beautiful example of that yeah. here in the Twin Cities and elsewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. The more we can do that, the more we're able to present the, the joy and beauty of the Gospel yeah. in our times.
2: Well, and one of the things I've loved too about what you guys are doing is it's just so humane you do a rosary walk through the neighborhood and then you go to the baseball game or you know there it's just a a very humane very kind of normal activities that you're doing but just sort of inviting people to do them together Mm -hmm. um, in a really organic way Uh, it's not like you're trying to rewrite urban life it's 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 more you're just trying to reclaim christian friendship in its highest expressions and it's mm. um, I, beautifully I put it. like we should write that down father
3: no <laughs> uh-huh. well, we're going to back we're gonna go back and transcribe your comments yeah. but, um when you, you yeah. brought up yeah. the issue of humanization and mm-hmm. a lot of times when we get a chance to spend some time with people and talk about uh, the the oratorian ethos they will almost inevitably say it's so it's like a family mm-hmm. and the family is the the, the place of humanization yes. yes like C.S. Lewis said you know um, a boy has already been uh, prepared or not prepared disposed or not disposed for a good education uh, in his family before uh, you know the university dons ever get to see him, or sure, him. Sure. and uh, um, people make this remark I think um, because there is a sense that uh, neighborliness comes from strong families, mm. and that the dissolution of the family and the dissolution of neighborhoods are really uh, connected in their four cities and so the oratory has always from the beginning been some, been an urban way of life mm.
2: mm-hmm. um,
3: and this is is what we're we're committed to living out and and uh, and sharing, mm-hmm. you
1: know, where we're planted. And Liz, I love how you, marked, you mentioned the, the very human character of what the oratory is. That was mm-hmm. certainly part of the genius of St. Philip Neri that mm-hmm. was always remarked upon that while he was a man of uh, immense mysticism and rather intense asceticism, mm-hmm. <laughs> he always had this very human and gentle touch to him, right? Mm-hmm. And he showed the, the human face of the gospel, right? And this mm-hmm. is why he was so attractive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really how the oratory started. He didn't set off to... Um, start an institution he just attracted uh, young men to him by <laughs> by mm-hmm. his very human touch mm-hmm. right um, and so there's something very organic about what he wanted to do mm-hmm. uh, and we pray that that's the same spirit that will yeah. be alive in our efforts
2: yeah well I feel it so you're off mm. to a good start so far my barometer's pretty good on that
0: stuff <laughs> so <laughs> cities yeah. are also places where the arts Mm-hmm. At least have found a place quite often, and that that seems to be a part of of the oratory mm-hmm. legacy as well. I mean, St. Philip, you know, wanted wanted great musicians to, mm-hmm. to, to hang out and make music. Is that is that part of your vision? As, I mean, obviously Father Father Byron can provide some of that, but I mean, is, is there is there a, a sense of how you want to sort of make the arts part of evangelization and mm-hmm. catechesis? It's
1: certainly, uh, I mean, that's this flows from uh, the very idea of the the human touch of the gospel is that it's it's necessary really to uh, evangelization, that we're able to show the gospel as the full flowering, the full flourishing mm-hmm. of the human person, human commu- community, and that's one way of naming what culture is, right? And, and the oratory has always been a place that fosters that development. Mm-hmm. Uh, musical forms were born from the oratory. The mm-hmm. oratorio, for instance, was a musical <laughs> form developed from the, the communal prayer that St. Philip had with his friends. Um, and at least on some accounts the first operas were produced in the oratory or early operas anyways Mm -hmm. Um, and so we do hope that uh, the oratory here in st. Paul can be another little place where these types of things happen through leading people to beautiful worship right and Mm -hmm. um, uh, and beautiful prayer uh, that can become a uh, yeah that can become a, a haven for uh, yeah, the arts and a place where people are attracted to the beauty of the gospel.
2: When you talk about attraction mm-hmm. earlier, too, and I just keep coming back to, you know, those opening pages of the glory of the Lord von mm-hmm. Balthasar talking about If we lose beauty, we're sunk, Mm -hmm. because we've already lost truth and goodness. But beauty is is like, you know, beauty is the one thing that people can still kind of, can still alight their heart, whether it's the beauty of a sunset, or the beauty of a baby, or the beauty of music, or something like that. This is one way that we can still really gather souls. Mm And, um, and the importance of how truth and goodness, the, her two sisters, they always come as a package. And mm-hmm. so if you can reclaim beauty, truth and goodness aren't far behind. Mm-hmm. You know, this is one avenue that's still so available to us. And um, the, those first few pages of Glory of the Lord and how if we can reclaim beauty, beauty teaches us how to pray. And, mm-hmm. and I would add, it teaches us also how to love. And Mm -hmm. what to love Mm -hmm. you know so there can't be an overstatement of how important it is to order people toward beauty truly Mm -hmm. beautiful things Mm -hmm.
1: and it it cuts through human defenses very easily it it arrests even when we don't want it to so Mm -hmm. you know it's there's a way in which its beauty is less vulnerable to our intellectual buffering that keeps us away from ideas Mm -hmm. we don't like it can Mm dupe us and deceive us Mm -hmm. and that it also is a natural preparation uh, for the revelation of Christ who presents us with infinite beauty
2: well and when I do retreats one of the exercises we will often do is Visio Divina I'll just walk them Mm. through a meditation of a a Visio Divina of, of a sacred piece of art often an icon which is written in prayer and fasting and so it already has that component and it is remarkable i have done this with thousands of women across the united states and how even with the same image there's always something new being unearthed by the various souls who come to contemplate that peace and i think one of the things that they take away from that is the particularity of that Christ has for them, how he knows them and their story in the particular, but this piece of beauty that they're all seeing the same thing, and yet Christ is speaking very individually uh, through that piece. And the same thing happens in the Gospel. This is why Ignatius says repetition is so important. Um, I can pray with a verse one day, get one a sort of message and, and direction, pray with the same verse the next day, and it's completely renewed, you know, it's completely refreshed. So I do think that there's a way that beauty can accomplish something that
0: maybe other kinds of catechesis cannot. As the founding program of the Catholic Studies Movement in Higher Education, St. Thomas Catholic Studies is internationally recognized for its integrated, Christ-centered approach to exploring 2,000 years of Catholic thought and culture. We provide a range of undergraduate and graduate programs, as well as professional development opportunities, all to help you integrate faith into your academic and professional pursuits. Catholic intellectual e- exploration or career preparation? Choose both. Visit stthomas.edu. That's stthomas.edu backslash Catholic Studies to learn about our online, on-ground, and hybrid educational options so you can learn and grow wherever you need to be.
3: This is really um, an an insight that is nourishing for us and informative for us. You know, the the 20th century uh, in Western culture is a period of cultural crisis and not only the values of the good and the true called radically into question, but Mm -hmm. even the lisaity of beauty. Yes. Uh, Philosophers, artists asking themselves and one another, can, are we allowed morally to represent (laughs) the beautiful now after this ugly uh, uh, period of the wars, for instance? Yes, Um, right. Is this, uh, that the beautiful hasn't been revealed you know, as yeah. as a mask, as something untruthful. Yes. And at the same time, what one sees in the later part of the 20th century, in all sorts of places in art, the neo-traditionalist movement uh, shows not simply that traditionalism is just another style whose time has come around again, mm-hmm. but rather that there's a desire uh, in in not only in artists but also in those who are, um, who are educated and, and appreciate art. Uh, for beauty and, and in its classical canons, even though presented you know in, in new ways, um, that this is something that is, still speaks to people as a place of uh, oasis mm-hmm. uh, from otherwise forms of life that mm-hmm. are uh, really quite. Um, oppressive, Mm -hmm. and the church has to be there Mm -hmm. precisely because the church has always understood herself as a custodian of the beautiful Yes, in all the ways that you talk about how the soul is drawn up.
2: Yes, the transcendent that's inherent in it has to be reawakened. That's one of beauty's vocations Mm -hmm. is to draw us into the transcendent. I mean if beauty had a job that Mm -hmm. would be one of them is to to remind us that our humanity is actually created for an eternal reality. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the forms, though, I like that. I mean, we had James Matthew Wilson on last season, yeah, and you know, mm-hmm. he, he didn't talk about uh, you know poetry and and uh, traditional poetry. He talked about the soul, mm-hmm. uh, but it's the same sort of question about the ordering of things. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I think you're right that the more traditional forms, not not held to in some sort of rigid uh, you know or sort of repetitive way but but uh, informed by living faith and Mm -hmm. and real people that's what that's what attracts people they see the order in the universe but also uh, the animating spirit within Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's I think that's that's so important Uh, and that's why maybe you know younger people I think are more attracted to more traditional forms of liturgy and music when they're attracted to the faith
3: Mm -hmm. I think that's absolutely the case Um, there are there are things that can presented can be presented out of pure archaism which is uh, Mm -hmm. not what we think should be advocated right Um, but nevertheless I think what we discover and this you find this um, you know Ratzinger comments uh, where he says there's actually a a, a massive revival happening uh, in Western musical circles a um, uh, recovery of church music in these things, <laughs> and this revival is happening uh almost in every place that one can look except in church right. mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. think his, mm-hmm. since he mm-hmm. since he wrote those words mm-hmm. that's uh becoming uh, you know less true with respect to to the response um, the church is making uh with her own musical language and artistic language and tradition mm-hmm.
2: uh, so like this phrase that we've been discussing is discipleship of the mind. It's certainly a core um, attribute to all that Catholic study ap- aspires to, just a mm-hmm. formation of, of, of the mind. Speak a little bit about that.
1: Well, there's no doubt that we live in a time in which um, the challenges presented to the life of faith are uniquely uh, intellectual challenges. I mean, every age has had its challenges, right? And there's always been heresies, of course, right? Mm-hmm. And there's always been moral corruption in every age. So, in, that, in these dimensions, um, our age—the fact that we're, we have challenges for our faith—is not unique. But our age is unique in that there's a lot of deep uh, intellectual currents at play uh, in the culture uh, that really do attack some of the foundations of the faith. And so, it's all the more important. Um, if we're to have a strong (laughs) vibrant um, uh, not only stable but dynamic faith in our age that we need to have minds that are enlightened by the gospel right Mm -hmm. Um, it's always been important but it's especially important in our age right Um, so practically speaking how does
2: oratory achieve that
3: yeah we'd like to um, at least contribute to giving an answer to the question which in our estimation is really once one strips away a lot of the uh, rhetoric of ideology uh, the question that the culture is asking which is is it even possible that God can speak to us Mm -hmm. and if so how is that possible Mm -hmm. how is that possible and I think when one, one sometimes gets a chance to get below the surface and you often have to do this by careful reading of Contemporary writers or even in in relationships you find that once you kind of get through a lot of the tropes and initial motions of uh, Contemporary sort of cynical or suspicious worldviews that you find uh, a deep sadness uh, and um, an attempt to to fight off despair uh, because this this religion doesn't seem possible for people even if in some sense they wish it could be for them mm-hmm. and we want as much as we can to be a place where um, the possibility of of receiving and partaking mm-hmm. of divine communion is opened up uh, for those who um, you see this
1: even as a, st- a challenge. Last yeah, leg maybe. You see this as a challenge even in, in, you know, people who grew up in very Catholic families, right, and had a great formation growing up. But the currents, the intellectual currents of the world, are so powerful that it, that it's still hard to sustain the faith, right, even in those circumstances. <laughs> um, so we think one thing the oratory does provide is precisely because of the communal life, mm-hmm. right? It allows the priests living there. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least this is our hope. <laughs> uh, to make their home a place of good conversation and a place of study, that one one advantage of the oratory for this purpose is that it's a little bit less, hopefully it's a little bit less frenetic in its pace than is often the case for, uh, a pa- a parish, for yeah. parish priesthood, You know, yeah. which is necessarily the case. There's something noble and beautiful that, about that. Certainly. Uh, but uh, the hope for the oratory is that it can be a little bit slower place to allow for a little bit more contemplation, a little more conversation, uh, okay. so that the oratory can, can become a place where we can be at the service of the local church in a special way, uh, to uh, ask deeper questions, delve into deeper issues, provide uh, um, intellectual formation in this way. And we think that you know, the the church in the Twin Cities has a lot of very educated Catholics who are asking very deep questions, yes. and so there's a there's a need for that, and we'd hope to be one thing that can help fill that need. Yeah,
2: I think your contributions, your reflections on. Our episodes are, are, are really just uh, stupendous and it's uh, something to be listened to again and again because they're very dense um, uh, but I think even those pieces are a reflection of exactly the kind of conversation and the kind of oasis that you're trying to provide. We're, we're, we're a little bit of a part of that, so <laughs> I am grateful. No, we, <laughs>
3: to be invited into that, you know, I feel like I'm listening to an episode and preparing a, a response or reflection and thinking, man, how could I butt my head in this conversation right now? I really want to be. And so to be invited into that in that way is a profound honor and has meant so much to us mm-hmm. uh, over this last year, year and a half mm-hmm. that we've been involved, Yeah. And I
2: think it's uh, really gives you a taste, sort of, of what the heart of and the mind of oratory um, w- wants to offer. Like this, this buffet. It's like this beautiful feast every every time you guys have your little mm. reflection. Um, almost like the the dessert or something after the episode. It's, even, it's, more, hmm. it's more nourishment than that. It's not just dessert. Um, but there is something really wonderful about it that if people are sort of interested about what yeah. an oratory is, what the root of it is, where its heart and mind is situated, uh, I think listening to Father Bryce's and Father Byron's reflections is
1: hmm.
2: is a very nice little taste of that.
1: We hope so. Uh you know, earlier, that the, the comment on friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's relevant here because the essence of friendship is very much conversation, right? Good conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the early oratorians actually described the essence and heart of the oratory as familiar conversation on the Word of God, mm. right? Uh, which is also rooted in the astounding fact that God has intro- introduced us into his conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, His eternal conversation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're introduced into that mm-hmm. through the liturgy and the life of the Spirit that's poured out into us. Um, and the goal of the oratory is to be a place where that conversation lives mm-hmm. in a beautiful way, both in the community of the priests, but then also anybody else who wants to come and be a part of it, you know, to invite others into that conversation. You did
2: mention the late, um, mm-hmm. uh, um, attribute. that Can you talk a little bit more about what that is?
1: Well it takes on a lot of different shapes and different oratories Uh um, but it is a a formal uh, and constitutive factor of the oratory that Uh every oratory one is founded needs also to have a complementary lay component Uh which would even have some sort of structure there'd be a leader of the lay oratory and Uh some Uh sort of formal commitment process for people who want to be involved. Uh but with that said it can take a lot of different shapes and we'll be doing some experimentation for what, what sure. it might look like i think the essential uh pillars of it would be regular prayer with the oratorium priests mm-hmm. right whether that's once a week or once a month or something like this mm-hmm. um and then regular re- re- uh, receiving a formation from the priests mm-hmm. and then some dimension of apostolic action right mm-hmm. uh, whether that's evangelical or charitable
2: yeah
1: uh, mm-hmm. But the idea would be this would be a place, and a unique place where the, tr- the church's mission can really come alive mm-hmm. in, a, in a local context.
0: Mm-hmm. We're getting close to the end, and I know we've been talking about what you've been doing the entire mm-hmm. episode, but uh, in terms of your own creative or intellectual work, aside from providing commentary for these episodes, um, are either of you working on anything? I should I should not fail to mention that Father, Father Byron Hagen is the uh, is the creator of our our music yes. for this podcast. So, are either of you working on any music or <laughs> art or uh, intellectual uh, uh, compositions on the side?
3: Uh, we've we've um, we keep ourselves going on projects. So, uh, a couple of years ago, Father Evans and I uh, uh, wrote together and presented together um, a course for. RCIA, for Rite of Christian Initiation uh, for Adults, that we really imagined um, as being uh, something that would would be an ongoing uh, uh, aspect of continuing adult formation as well Mm -hmm. and part of oratory formation. So the way in which we got at that was really quite uh, creative for us and a theological challenge. And, and, uh, you know, I'm adjuncting uh, at the seminary... um, Of all courses uh, teaching Holy Orders this spring at St. Paul Seminary and that has been a fantastic project for me of of renewal and refreshing Mm -hmm. um, with respect to looking at the church's theology from the angle of considering uh, Holy Orders and and the priesthood so we we don't we don't lack uh, for for projects uh, going on on the music front um, I, I have yet to really get get this back reintegrated in some way into my priestly life, but I suspect um But I now will have be able an to instrument.
2: Do that. You now have an instrument we available have, yeah, which is quite a fine right, instrument.
3: That's right. And so um, <laughs> I suspect as time goes on I'll figure out how yeah. how that's gonna work. But I was happy to, I'm happy to be able to, to pull something out of the archives that you liked. Mm-hmm. We're looking for an
0: oratorio. I think is what we're right. An opera, yes. What
2: about uh, you, Father <laughs> Bryce?
1: Yeah, I mean, we don't lack for ideas, but scraping together the time to to sure, and the study sure. time to put it, to put some work into it—that's yeah, the hard part. Yeah. Uh, I have had a little project ongoing for a while of of some reflections on the Second Vatican Council. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that's been a little side project that's kind of been on and off. <laughs> um uh, uh also been teaching at the joy of teaching at catholic studies uh mm-hmm. this year um and so that's uh you know required a good amount of intellectual work to uh, put, s- put courses together um uh but then we're also reflecting a lot on what we might write and say about the oratory and mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. and and uh, how it suits this place in history and um so those have been some of the major things we've been working on
2: it's a really exciting Mm -hmm. time for you and i love the way that the pieces are kind of coming together um it's like almost a good stew Mm -hmm. (laughs) here here all of the pieces are coming together and i can see the holy spirit kind of stirring the pot and saying you know. We're getting there, we're getting there, you know. Uh, Please, God. Cooking, cooking, cooking. Uh, it's a long, slow stew, uh, but such a worthy pursuit, and we just couldn't be um, more grateful for your pursuing it and just wish you so much the best. And
3: thank you so thank you. much. That means the world to us, that kind of encouragement. Mm. Please pray for us. Mm-hmm.
0: We will indeed, and thank you both for, for joining us today. Thank you, Liz, as always. Pleasure to be here. And we thank you, the listeners, for joining us for another, I will say, great episode of Deep Down Things, a partnership between Logos Journal and Friends of St. Thomas Catholic Studies. And we hope that you'll visit our website, patreon.com backslash deepdownthings, that's all one word, to become a patron of the show and to continue the conversation. We thank you for listening. God bless, and we'll talk to you later.